welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles, the Lockdown Editions. I've got a great show lined up for you today. I've got Alan Hain and Lila Gurton from the Fat Fish 40 Bike Race in the virtual studio with me. Lila and Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and uh, Lila, this is not your first rodeo with Blast Beats and Bicycles. You uh, you were on the show about a year ago, I think, if we're not mistaken. Yeah, it feels like maybe about a year and a half ago, and it was uh, very, it was like the springtime, I think. I rode my bike into McAllister, into your studio, actually. So, yeah, it's been a while. Well, you definitely need the fat bike to do that today with the snow coming down, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I can't believe it's about snowing. that. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you know, with the, the the race having been just over a week and a half ago or so, uh, you guys picked just about the perfect time for it. You got a great race uh, weekend for sure, and uh, now everybody's getting now that those fat bikes are ready to roll uh, in the snow. We've got some. <laughs> We do. You know, we had some snow initially before the race that week before leading up to it was almost, it, it felt like December. And uh, we were a little concerned at first, but though it being a fat bike race, at the same time we weren't. But, I mean, it was just uh, the day that it actually took place uh, on Halloween, of course, it was, the conditions couldn't have been better. It was unbelievable. That's, that's and, fantastic. And by better, by better, Alan, it, it's more or less the conditions were perfect uh, as curators as a race because we had an unexpected harsh south 15 mile hour wind at 4 a.m. when we were setting up and we were like, well, this is going to be great because it's really going to offer another challenge to these riders today. And it did, too. I couldn't believe it. I told her when we were out there trying to set up the, uh, the backdrop for the podiums, uh, which we had to reconfigure that idea because, I mean, it was like we were on the open seas with the wind. Um, but I'm like, you know, these guys are really going to have a challenge going uh, uh, southwest. Or actually, uh, the wind was coming from, uh, what was it, uh, southwest, was it? Yeah. And it was it was a sizable wind. Um, I couldn't believe how, 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 I mean, the wind was gusting un, uncontrollably. Well, bike racing is supposed to be hard, right? Exactly. It was a major factor in the actual race. I think it was a major factor that the wind. The wind was unbelievable. I think it got up to 25 miles per hour uh, on a couple different wow. uh, occasions on Halloween. Yes. Wow. And and so, Alan, this is the third uh, year of the race. Is that right? That is correct. What was the inspiration for the event? What was the uh, what was the initial nugget of an idea? You know, it all came down to you know I spent a lot of time up in Danbury. Um, as a child, uh, with with family property, um, being on Berg Lake, actually all the all the property that surrounded Berg Lake, my grandfather owned, and uh, I had some uh, there's some magical times growing up as a kid up there. It's a beautiful area. It's kind of sandwiched in, you know. It's it's just south of Superior, and of course, the, of course, Duluth. You've got to the east Spooner and Hayward. Um, you know, to the west, you've got Hinkley and the the Saint Croix River, the Yellow River. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people out there though that aren't aware of the actual of, of Danbury, you know, or Webster, or what it actually brings to the table. So, what we did is my grandfather actually got rid of the property in the late '80s, and I had been looking for property up there for quite some time. Um, and by doing so, I was doing a lot of bicycling. 
Um, being out in the woods there and, and uh, amongst the sugar sand and all the different types of uh, uh, pine trees, uh, different stands of trees, you know, sugar pine, uh, white pine, uh, red pine. You've got a lot of jack pine up there. It dawned on me that this could be a perfect situation um, for a biking event. And how did that first event come together? What was the, uh, how, did, how did the idea for the event come together and then, you know, sort of, from a practical perspective, how did you get that accomplished? Well, it was a, lo- a long, lengthy process. I had to obviously get some people on board, um, including the uh, Burnett County. I had to to get the uh, natural Burnett County Natural Resources Committee on board. Um, you know, I mean, there was actually quite a lot of people that I had to, had to get on board. And quite frankly, I mean, they looked at me like I was out of my mind at the time. Um, I was kind of taken <laughs> back. I. <laughs> they, they. I got some strange reactions. Uh, as a matter of fact, the forestry department. Uh, one gentleman said, "You, you plan on doing what? You know, and how are you? You're gonna, you're gonna bike up here. You're actually gonna take a bike up here." He goes, "I, I highly, I do not recommend that, Alan." Um, so I ran across a little bit of that. Yes, I did. Um, I had to sort that out. Uh, it was a battle in the beginning, Jason, to to get to get this thing on the rails, so to speak. And so maybe we should give people a little bit of an understanding of what the event's all about. Lila, can you talk a little bit about the the event, the course and the categories and stuff like that that you offer? Sure. So the first two years uh, before I came on this last year, um, the categories were all pretty much the same. I think there was one change in masters, um, masters ages, but we... Alan originally realized that, yes, it should be a fat bike race. The shorter course, though, which was the only course at the time, the 40-mile course, which has varied between 40 and 47 miles over the last three years, that covers a lot of different kind of ground and why we say that it is an all-terrain event. But with the deep sections and longer sections of sugar sand, the fat bike just makes way more sense. But there are other people, and there's definitely able-bodied folks that can race uh, a really challenging course like this on a mountain bike. So the categories have always been um, boys and girls, uh, juniors, uh, mountain bike, and fat bike. Uh, Same with uh, men's and women's, and then the women's opened up to um, women, trans, femme uh, this last year, too. And that then was segmented into masters versus what you would say like an open age. So I forget how many trophies we actually had um, over the course of the last three years, but because we've had so many, so many podiums, because there is an opportunity with that shorter course to go um, mountain bike versus fat bike, uh, and then all the different ages and disciplines, They've all stayed relatively the same with only a change um, in the master's uh, ages. But we're, we're developing that, too, and that there, there could potentially be a little bit of a change in categories next year. But with the courses, it's always going to be the historic 40-mile course, whether it be you know 42 miles to all the way to upwards of 48 miles. We have... Uh, several different variables. Alan is the big, like, just this genius mastermind behind developing these courses, and he knows that area so well. Now I can get myself around it without getting lost, but it's just so vast 
the opportunities really with that 40 mile course uh, that that's going to stay, that's going to be, you know, that's the happy-go-lucky, everyone can ride this, um, most people can race it. And then the new course, the 105 mile, which is the original idea behind the whole Fat Fish event, Alan really wanted a 100 plus mile as he was riding, I think we put the mass together and it was just something like thousands of hours in the saddle thousands of hours planning um, and all, that course was the original idea behind and then just because he had to get so many different people involved and to make it what you would consider an almost sanctioned event I mean it's we're, we're sanctioned on our own accord not you know mm -hmm. not vested with any other um, and not any other association but getting it starting it small in that sense like still 45 miles it's a little like there are people the last two years that I've done this that have raced all over the country and they're like this is one of the toughest courses that I've done and it's only 45 miles but it's a fat bike race that that travels around all of this different kind of terrain and you get up to mm -hmm. you know 2,000 plus feet in elevation so wow. that the, the two courses this this 105 mile course is, is brand new. This is totally novel this year, but it was the original idea. Um, but then, as far as like the party was concerned, it was also Alan's idea to overhost people, in a sense of like we're giving back. This is a huge event for everyone to come together and have fun. It starts in May, so we're kind of like. The last two years, it's been an opener. Everybody is itching to get on the bike. They've been training all winter. And this is this big adventure that everybody can enjoy a brat afterwards and a beer or a non-alcoholic beverage and just enjoy each other. And, you know, he's, we, were planning on, we were planning on maybe having a band this year, and then we had to cancel in May. And half of the event is not just the course and the ride. It's that community aspect, the party per se, which the last couple of years has gone off without a hitch. You know, everybody really enjoyed themselves right. afterwards and, and they stuck around and that's the idea of cultivating that community and giving back to that community is just overly hosting them essentially, right? See, Jason, originally the course, my plans originally were to have the, the, the Fat Fish 50 or 40 up in Danbury, just northeast of Danbury where the surfaces are in, incredibly different. Um, I mean, it, 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 it mimics snow. It's, it's powdery sugar sand when it's, when it's dry. It's a lot of work. It can be a lot of work to navigate. I mean, it'll slow you down going downhill. The other side of that is during, during moist times of the year or, or damp side times of the year when it's raining considerably, it becomes more dense, almost like soft asphalt. You can fly on this stuff. It's like night and day as opposed to when it's dry. So that was the original idea was to take the race northeast to Danbury, okay, up towards uh, Douglas County, and enjoy all the elevation up there. There's some considerable elevation as opposed to Webster. But what happened was Webster greeted me with open arms in, in 2017 when they seen what I was out there doing, and I couldn't refuse. Um, but with doing that, I had to resign, re redesign a whole new concept with a whole new course. I had to go out and redo, redo everything. I had to go out in area canvas and, and, and take a look at everything outside of what I had already done northeast of Danbury. I was like, oh, my God. So 
And I did that. And it actually took me, uh, it was 950 miles in about 250 hours on the bike by myself, just kind of going through, sniffing around, uh, looking at different trails. We're talking logging roads, hunting paths, mm-hmm. um, fire lanes, um, using a few ATV trails as a vehicle to, to, to connect a few things so that it actually flowed decently. Um, but the 40 course, Jason, is, it's a little bit different. It's variable surfaces. You've got compacted sand, which it's, it's a little bit faster course. And you've got some segments in there where it's, 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 it's pretty sal- sandy and, and, and actually challenging. Well, it sounds like you, you had a number of challenges that, that first year, getting people to sort of come on board. After that first race was over, what were some of the things that stood out that made you decide, you know what, this is, we got a good thing here, let's do it again? You know, initially, yeah, it was difficult. You know, you know how it is with the events. I mean, it, it's a lot of work. You've got to pay attention to detail. You've got to be consistent. I mean, I think some in some cases people they'll turn a blind eye to the event. I think you've got to actually do the event more than one year to actually, uh, I think, to really get anything out of it. As far as you know, me personally, that's how I feel. But I was itching to make sure that this worked. I knew I had a. I had a route out there. I knew I had an event. I knew I had an interesting area. It's cool. It's a magical little area up there. It's rugged. It's it's uh, uh, it's it'll test you, and I really wanted people to experience that. So just that alone, I wasn't going to give up on the Fat Fish Forty. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. by all accounts, you had a great a great year this year. Um, how many racers did you end up getting all together? So I have all the data. I'm, as they say, the data master. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree. We had so we had 196 registrants for overall 2020, um, with a over 60% increase um, midsummer when we uh, we reannounced. We said, "Hey, we canceled May. We're playing it safe for COVID. Uh, we have the opportunity to set a date later in the fall, and we reopen registration again." And then we had 132 at the starting line, uh, which one of them was two people on one bike. It was a tandem. That was super cute. <laughs> and we had 129 finishers, and we had six starters on the Fenton, which is the 105-mile course with five finishers. And originally, we had 18 registrants for the 40 for the Fenton, sorry, the long course. That's pretty impressive that you were able to can, you know, encourage people to, to come out despite the, the delay and, you know, the challenges with COVID uh, right now. I'm, I'm really curious. I want to dive into that um, in, a, in a little bit, but I'm curious to yeah. know how the logistics changed from just doing one course to a second course. You know, I mean, how, how did you handle setting up and managing and dealing with two different races altogether? We talked a lot about what time do we want to start the Fenton. It's 105 miles. And just from Alan and a few friends riding the Fenton 50, which starts out of Danbury and then does that whole northeast section, which is the most difficult section, we didn't necessarily have the data in place to understand how long it would take, um, say, a fit competitive rider to actually ride 105 miles on that course. We assumed that mm-hmm. potentially we could have uh, one of the faster participants come in in, in, in about a sub-10-hour ride. Um, but 
we didn't really think anyone was going to be going anywhere faster than 8 to 12 miles an hour on the bike. Yes. So we were like, we got to start them in the morning. So we were like, mm-hmm. okay, how early is too early? And we thought originally maybe 7, and then we looked at the time, and we were like, oh, man, these people are going to be coming in after dark, and then that's well after mm-hmm. the 40 festivities kind of start to fizzle out. So we decided at 5 a.m. and we just went there. It was like a, it was like a zero dark 30 moment in time. It was Alan and I super, we were so jazzed at 4.30 in the morning. We met these <laughs> folks because we were like, this is, the, this is the course that we like really put a lot of ourselves into. Of course, the entire event we put a lot into, but the Fenton, for me personally, I was a lot more stoked on seeing how these riders were going to do because it was so novel. It's completely new. We have no idea what's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's literally everybody's race at that point. And then there were people that had done the Iditarod and the Arrowhead. So we were like, wow. there, there are amazing people that are going to come out and give us like really, really treasured data at the end of this. And we just let them go at 5 in the morning. We gave them a little pep talk, and everyone was excited. And we played some Bruce Springsteen in the car and took some pictures of them taking off, and it was magical. The nice thing about the Fenton was my, my vision for that race, the start of that race, was to a real low-key start uh, in the morning, and that's the way it will stay. Um, in the future, it'll be a low-key start early in the morning with a porta potty Jason. Yep. <laughs> no, <that's>, yeah. <laughs> it's, yep. It's going to be a porta potty with a job briefing. We call it a job briefing, right? We're going to have a little briefing, and then we're going to let them go. But that race is something else because you don't know what you're going to get into depending on the surface. You don't know what the surface is going to be like. If you don't know what the surface, right. you don't know how long it's going to take you. You know, and more and more people, the more they see this course and actually get out there because the actual GPX file is out there it's for people to be able to, to, uh, to utilize if they want to get out on their own and actually uh, preview the course. But I think people will, in the future, become uh, uh, pretty, pretty interested in the Fenton Lake 100. And you mentioned that you've had some people who've ridden some pretty impressive events uh, come to the to, to race in the event this year. What was what were some of the reactions? What's some of the feedback you got from the folks? Well, Kate Coward was an absolute surprise. I mean, she had called me a couple of days prior and told me she was coming up with uh, some people that she was coaching uh, this year for the uh, Arrowhead 135. And I wasn't exactly – I had heard of her, but I didn't know exactly uh, – what she brought to the table, Jason. She's she's an amazing woman who's biked all over the world. She's done the Iditarod. Um, and so she did the Fenton. She won the Fenton, um, the overall. She, she was the first person across the finish line. But listen, she loved the race. It was it was it was very touching when she told me that it was one of the most uh, uh, most enjoyable, most interesting races that she's ever been on. Yeah, what do you do when somebody tells you something like that? I mean. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. That's, I had to kind of laugh. That kind of experience, right? Who's seen so many different types of races and courses, and yes. that's a that's a really uh, really compelling story to tell. It is. It was really touching, and then you know, I you know, that's when you have to stand back and you say to yourself, you know, we might have we might have an event here. Oh, I was just going to say, Jay. I mean, that's when you really start thinking to yourself, you know, all the hard work is paying off, all the mm-hmm. research. Uh, 
you know, you're out there for hours trying to do something and create something that's, you know, it's not only a event, but it's the community up there. And all of a sudden, you've got people telling you, hey, we really enjoy what you're doing. This is cool. Yeah, it's great. And and so has that community response been consistently positive? I mean, has everybody really embraced the event now after three years? I have an interesting story. So race day, we let the, the, we let the 40 riders go around a little before 9 a.m. We did a procession, mm-hmm. and we went down Main Street and let them go. And then we, Alan and I regrouped, and I was supposed to take, like, the film crew to a couple places, which was the original plan. We always, we, <laughs> we found out that we have to come up with, like, secondary and tertiary plans always because logistics <laughs> don't necessarily work the way that you want them to. So we get there, and then one of our checkpoint workers wasn't available. So, and the first checkpoint on the 40 was actually at mile, I believe, 23.3, which is a little over halfway. And it was essential to get water to that checkpoint at least. So I put all the water in my Jeep, and I went to the checkpoint. And there, I got there 10 minutes before the fast group came, which was like all the LCW juniors. It was fantastic watching everybody go through. And then as those waves of like the you know it's like everybody that's really c- competing, they sometimes don't use uh, any of the checkpoints. They don't need those resources. Sure. They come prepared, yeah. and yeah. just watching them go by, getting getting some snaps of them, cheering them on. Just you know, it's just me, a one man, <laughs> one man band. And then yep. those those other waves of folks come through, and they stop and they talk to you, and they realize you're the race director, what are you doing out here on the course? <laughs> and then they're like, well, what do I expect next? And I knew the course enough to give them at them that expectation and to talk to them about what we did and how we changed things. And if they wanted to hang out and BS for a couple minutes, they did that. And they got some Gatorade and some water. And so many people then full circle at the end of the night I'm on an hour of sleep, I'm losing everything, but I'm still just running on that pure energy of like getting this done and seeing Kate Coward and Jake Lynn and all of our friends from the Fenton finish at the end of the day was amazing. It it really lifted like my overall positivity for the future of the event. Having those people full circle and say, hey, we saw you at that checkpoint. We thought that was a really neat experience. It made us feel like you are really curating everything. Like, it really is grassroots. They're like, you're, you're like a two-man operation. You're making everything happen. And it feels not just good, but it made me realize, like, that's why I love going to those events. I love going to those events where the people that are directing and curating it and making it happen are there every step of the way, and they're available for you to talk to. It's like your mini, it's that mini celebrity, right? You see somebody, you know, an athlete that you, you follow. Like, I remember when I saw Meredith Miller when I was racing Cross Vegas years ago at Interbike, and I flipped out. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and she took time to, like, look me in the eyes and have a conversation with me. <laughs> and I just thought that that was the best thing ever. And so I realized that that is something moving forward that we, like, have to make sure that we do that one of us are involved that way because Alan was the first two years and I really don't understand how he, he had the energy to make it all work because well, you even know, me coming on and both of us doing this oh it was amazing 
the first two years, figuratively, honestly, I, I did it myself. I, it was unbelievable. I don't know how I did it. I had a few people, a few mainstays that came around that helped me out. My sister, my brother-in-law, Kelly Mortensen. I had Mace Lucas. Lucas mm-hmm. Mace was there uh, by my side. But uh, overall, I mean, Jason, to, to answer your first question again, the community has come. They are ecstatic about the event. They're supportive now, and we're gaining more and more traction as we move along. Absolutely. That's that's really exciting, and, and especially as you think about you know getting permits handled and all those types of things and getting volunteers, I got to believe that makes that job a whole lot easier as you go in subsequent years. People are helping. People are asking if they want help. Uh, the, the the county, the, the the village, everybody's saying, hey, what do you need? What can we do for you? Uh, they're as excited as we are this year. And uh, like I said, we had we had a great great experience, and uh, we couldn't ask for a better third year, Jason. That's that's great to hear. I'm I'm curious to know what kinds of volunteer support you've had. I mean, what how many people did it take to put this thing all together, um, both before and and on race day? Well, before before it was me, a few of my friends. We had Dan Campion, who uh, is the former uh, fire chief of Jackson uh, uh, Township out there. Um, He's also the Boy Scout, uh, in charge of the Boy Scouts and, 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 and a few other uh, Kaiser Lake trails. He brought a bunch of people together um, that were, you know, it wasn't easy. They weren't exactly, uh, I don't know if everybody was excited, Jay, <laughs> about doing a checkpoint, <laughs> but he brought the Boy Scouts out the first year. Uh, he brought some other people within the community that wanted to participate out. Um, the PECs came out. Uh, a couple out there that actually run a construction uh, company, they came out and, and did one of the checkpoints over by Chase Lake. But getting the volunteers was one of the biggest obstacles for the start of this event. It's always a challenge, you know, when you've got that much ground to cover and that much course to secure and manage and provide safety for. It's, uh, it's a, a, it takes a village, literally, right? It, it does, does take a village. And- you don't have enough time. You realize as you're doing this, you just don't have enough time, and the clock yeah. is just spinning around. This year, we were fortunate enough. I had asked some of my some of my close friends here from the Twin Cities if they would be willing to come out and help. And it's like, hey, uh, you can camp. We're going to get you like food and beverages, and we'll set you up and. Uh, there's going to be this awesome bike race, so you get to see people that ride bikes. And so the crew from from Bonesaw Cycling Collective came out in just uh, there were seven of them that came out, and then my best friend Amy Casey and Nikki Peterson, and then again this year Lucas Mace. Just everyone really pulled through, and they came with the same amount of excitement and enthusiasm to to navigate these checkpoints and we just we needed like some we need some fresh brains too so the night before when they all came in we just like sat out in the in the garage area setting up the checkpoint to show them hey this is what the checkpoint should look like and then they just took it and made it into something beautiful because we also wanted to support the Fenton riders with food um, and nutrition. So they kind of were able to set that up and make it their own. And the Bonesaw crew made it even better because they've been going and 
working um, on each other's bikes and supporting each other, um, like at Mid-South and El Monzo and all of these longer distance um, and all-terrain cycling events. So they know what it takes to put on what I call now these stoke points. All they want to do is make people feel good when they're going through the checkpoint and offer them, like, do you need some mechanical support? Do you need some water? Do you need some, do, would you like a hostess treat? <laughs> Whatever it <laughs> they takes. Did a, you know what? They did a phenomenal job. I can't say enough. And me and Lila had been up there now, I want to point out. We had been up there that, that Tuesday. Yeah, we had yeah. been going nonstop till three, four in the morning, sleeping on maybe maybe three or four hours <laughs> that entire week. So by the time Jason they actually arrived, it was really great to be working with these guys that were professional. We handed a bunch of stuff off to them. We handed the ball off to them, and they knew exactly what to do. We need, I, we both needed that at that time because I tell you what, we could. I don't even know if we were mumbling. I don't even know, know if we knew each other. <laughs> I don't know if we knew each other's name by that point. Lila looked at me a couple of times during the week, and it was like I said, listen, it's time for you to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. I got a few things I need to do. I got to go over everything. Because as you know, Jason, uh, being, you, you run your own events. Uh, you're very good at it. You know that you've got to be, you've got to go over everything over and over. You've got to make sure you've got, yep, you've got to make sure everything's covered, and you've got to be putting out fires every now and then. Now that you've had 10 days to, to look back on the event, what, were there one or two moments that you said, you know what, this is a new thing this year and we've got to keep doing this particular thing? You know, I gotta, you know what I've got to keep doing? I've got to keep working with Lila. <laughs> 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 no, we work well together. I've got to keep working with Lila. We, we're learning a lot about what we want to do, what we don't want to do. We put out a few fires um, in motion um, for this event, it went unnoticeable. But I tell you what, yeah, it was. Lila was like, "You're kidding me," and I'm like, "I'm not." Yeah, it's definitely it, it's definitely a challenge to have to think on your feet and pivot. Like, uh, quite honestly, Jason, um, we had like maybe a two-hour window of time where we had to pivot to actually make this event go off without a hitch, and that was not only, it was three days, it was three days before the event. Hmm. And then again, months before when we're leading, we're leading up to things and, and COVID was very, it's tricky. Originally I wanted to cancel. Um, and Alan and I had so many conversations and we talked to, we have a lot of uh, people within our immediate network and our families that we can talk to that work in healthcare and so we decided, to, we decided to make it happen, but also we had to know that at any point in time, we would have to shut everything down. So like, you know how people, you have a lot of larger established cycling events in our nation, and most of them have been planning for about 1.5 to 2 years, right? Yep. We did all of that in a little less than 2 weeks where it was like, okay, now it's go time, we're ordering everything, we're getting everything set up, we're making sure exactly. that we cross our T's and dot our I's. We had everything lined up, we were ready to go, but then there was mm -hmm. some, uh, there was some, the village for instance, uh, because of the spike in COVID, they had a few, they had a few uh, uh, cases, 
the village was getting nervous, some of the residents were getting nervous, and they were wondering, and they had to have a meeting on whether or not they thought it was a good idea uh, to move forward with the race. So we had had the go-ahead, we had the green light, and then all of a sudden we were being told that we're not going to get the final decision till October 14th. Oh, man. Yeah. And luckily yeah. enough, we had an advocate, we had several advocates there for us um, that we didn't need to be present for at those meetings where they're like, no, that let's review this, this what they have on their website. They have a COVID procedure plan. It's actually, um, and it, maybe I'm giving, I'm fluffing myself, but it, it was better than the state of Wisconsin's uh, at first, in all honesty. And I was very, very, very sure, almost 95 plus percent sure that this community would not contest any of it. I knew that everybody would be respectful. Majority of the cycling community that came up is from the cities, and everybody is taking it very seriously. So we still wanted to be able to do something, and we we ended up making it happen. But we did have to learn that even though you you have everything planned, you know your secondary, your tertiary, in case your original logistics didn't work out, your original plan didn't work out. That's going to continue. To, I think it's really solid the way that Alan and I work, where we are very um, both driven in that way, where we need to make sure that every we have all of our bases covered. What was the general you know, response like from the uh, from the rider community to the concepts of you know the COVID safety plan and even just having the race at all? You know what, Jay? We first of all, the county came to us and asked us. They said, you know. I think you should you, you could be you should be able to run the race. Let us know what you're going to do, what your plan is going to be with the with the COVID. Of course, with the insurance, you know you know as well as I do, you've got to have to be insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the insurance, the, the 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 carrier wanted to make sure that uh, that we had a proper uh, COVID protocol, which they later came back and said this is unbelievably done well. So we had the support of of a lot of the people in charge there in Burnett County, the insurance company, and then on top of that. A lot of people wanted to ride. They wanted to get out and ride. They felt they could get out in the rural area if there was special, uh, you know, if if we took the proper protocol with the social distancing immediately, um, and and of mm-hmm. course prior to the race, they felt as soon as we got out there and the race developed, that people would be safe and they'd be able to make personal decisions that were right for them. But at the same time, I was also months before we actually decided to go ahead and, and while Lila was also doing her research, I was talking with my brother-in-law, Kelly Mortensen, who's in with the running community, uh, Ben Pop, you know, the director of the Berkey Trail Run. And I was mm-hmm. tapping, uh, yeah, I was talking with Kelly about, hey, so what is Ben doing up there? I mean, he's going to go ahead and he's going to actually do the Berkey Trail Run. And Kelly says, yes, he is. I said, so he's anticipating about 500 plus people. What are they doing with their checkpoints? What are they doing with check-ins? Uh, you know, what are they doing? And Kelly kind of ran it all by me. We sat down and talked about it. And I said to myself, we can do it. I know we can do it. And not to mention they did it. Putting all that information into account, the county, um, the county, or the, the village of Webster, everybody in the end had no objections. You know, I didn't hear any criticism, which I thought I would. I was prepared for that, too. I mean, I have Word documents that I wrote up as as my go-to, like... <laughs> Q and A of what what I was gonna what my answers would be if somebody had these questions, um, but but we didn't. And then anyone who said, "Hey, I don't feel comfortable racing," they emailed me. They said, "I don't feel comfortable racing because of COVID," and I said, "No problem. Here's a refund," because 
that was in, more important to me to make somebody not contest how they were feeling in the moment, make somebody feel like, okay, they can come back. Or I was like, I'll roll your registration over to next year. That's okay. I'll do a handful of that if it's beneficial for like the greater good, right? And then there are so many people that signed up afterwards. They signed up within a week to two weeks of the actual event date, and they were like, this, this feels super safe. There are people that run junior programs in our city that reached out to me directly, and they were like, hey, I wasn't going to do anything this year, and then I saw your COVID plan, and it makes me feel safe enough. And I've heard many other people in the last two years tell me that they've raced that race, and yes, you get strung out. You know, you you're, you end up in the in the woods alone, <laughs> or with whoever or with yeah. whoever you choose to be. So it was a lot of those like factors and that word of mouth too. People had good experiences in the past, and they said, "Yeah, it's not like a closed course. It's not a criterium. It's not something where we're all going to be in the same area for yeah. longer than a few minutes in time." And I gotta believe that it's those initial points. You know, it's the it's the pre-race um, sign-in type stuff and the yeah. checkpoints, and then the, the the event afterwards, where your biggest challenges were yes. or could have been. Yes. We can't. We decided well ahead of time with my significant other. That was a discussion that we personally had. Her being in the medical field, being a physician, um, we decided that we were going to ultimately cancel the food service for the event this year. Yeah. So we didn't have, yeah, you know, we didn't have that, but we did put out uh, uh, quite a spread as far as uh, you know, uh, hot beverages, cocoa, cider, and things like that in the morning, along with some donuts, complimentary. But everybody wanted to race and they wanted to do this, and they were paying attention attention to what they were doing. It was evident. So you didn't get any hassles. Nobody was subjecting to having to be social distance or the extra time it would take at check in or whatever. It was a friendly reminder here and there, and there was absolute compliance. So it wasn't an issue at all. Everybody, everybody complied. I, I, they really did. It was. It worked out. It worked out beautifully. I mean, I'm amazed that it worked out as well as it did. You know, one of the biggest changes you you mentioned earlier, Lila, was the uh, the change of the the time of the year. You know, normally in the beginning of the season this year, you know, realistically the last non-true snow fat bike race of the year. Um, what uh, what are your thoughts about next year's schedule? We've been kind of kicking it around a little bit. Uh, it would be nice to either be the season opener or the season closer. I think it it is completely on brand to this being a, a bike festival in the way in the sense of where we're giving back to the community, we're celebrating each other, we're offering a weekend of of camping. We get. The fairground services we haven't really even touched on, but the, the fairground services there, they offer electrical hookup in the spring um, and, and potable water and camping available all over the fairgrounds. So that brings free. in that, yeah, for free. Wow. So it, it brings in like that, that community aspect where that's the real like fat fish culture. So post-COVID, you know, whatever happens, even next year, like this year, there was safe camping. There was still safe camping, even though we had a little bit of a cold snap and they had to close down um, some water. We, we helped people that brought in RVs and made it happen so that they had some, some water. Uh, but they, had, they still had electrical, so that wasn't even an issue. And they, they were still safe camping. 
it's a nice area. It's it's great that yeah. the, the village, I've, I've worked that out with the village where we can provide free camping. We're going to continue to provide free camping. And that, that, that also, Jason, includes free electric. Uh, because of the temperatures here in October, though, um, that didn't work out exactly as I wanted to because they, they had to mm-hmm. shut down and blow out the pipes. They didn't want, it, they didn't mm-hmm. want all that... Uh, if the pipes had frozen, that would have been catastrophic. So sure. there's some additional things we had to do. But when it comes down to it, we've got the free camping. I think we're going to continue to do the race in May. Okay, we're going to have to coordinate that, though, with the Wisconsin and Minnesota High School uh, Mountain Bike Leagues because we have Bruce Martins, you know, from uh, mm-hmm. uh, LCW associated with the, He's partnered mm-hmm. with me on this. Um, not to mention, we haven't mentioned Joey Browner. He's partnered with us on that. He helps us with our food service, uh, the former 47 of the Minnesota Vikings. There's a lot of people involved here that want, want this to move forward. So we're going to do a May one, and then what we're thinking about doing is doing the 105 at the end of the year. Yeah, it's that nice be because it's like spring, yeah, spring and fall kind of offer up in this area the opportunity for snow or rain or whatever. So it adds to the, the challenge of the course as well. I mean, it is fat bike territory. It, it legitimately is. If you ever get a chance, which I'd like to invite you up there to go do some fat biking with me, you'll see what I'm talking about. This is legitimate fat bike territory. Both, I mean, you're around. Yeah, I've, I've had the chance to, to ride a little bit up in the, the Spooner and Hayward area, but I haven't had a chance to be over over by Danbury. And it sounds really oh, like a lot of fun and it, and quite a bit different from what you get over in Spooner and that, that part of Wisconsin. Yes. It's off the beaten path. It's a, it's a path less traveled. Uh, it really is. I mean, <laughs> we're just, start, we're starting, oh, yeah, we're starting to see fat bikes up there now. Um, it's a different surface. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as the road biking goes, it's pristine. But, yeah, I think you're going to see more and more fat bikes. You're going to see more and more people taking advantage of the county property. And so as you as you look down the road, what what's the long-term future of the event? What, where do you want to see the thing go? Well, we're going to continue we're going to continue to grow with the with the growing support of the cycling community and of course the 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 neighboring community up north there. We're just going to continue to pay attention to what we're doing. Make sure that we put on a top-notch event and make sure that we pay attention to detail and make sure we're consistent. Those are the two keys I've always followed in my life, and they've worked well for me, and I'm going to apply those directly to the event from this point forward. Totally. Yeah. It's real simple. Uh, but it is a lot of work. No, no, no. I'm, you know, Jay. Jay, you know it's not simple, don't you? Jay says you're yeah, alone, and it's not <laughs> It looks good on paper. It sounds good. It looks yeah, good right. on paper, yes. That's right. <laughs> So as you think about that long-term future, what, what are some of the needs that you have that, that people could get involved in to help support? What, what kinds of things are you hoping you'll, you'll be able to ask people to help with in future iterations? Well, we'd like to get more and more volunteers. You know, what we do with our volunteers, and I'm sure you do with your volunteers, a lot of people do, we like to host our volunteers really hard. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to come up and help out with the race, um, and, you, and, 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 you know, and we can rely on you, you're responsible. You know, you're not going to call me up in the 11th hour and say that you can't make it. We welcome anybody to come on up and get involved. It's a lot of fun. We have a fun environment here, Jason. Yeah, the cabin house is super fun, and there's always there's always trails like less than a half a mile away. You can just get on a bike and ride anywhere from there. So it, 
it would be nice to be able to get enough people on board just to make sure that that week goes by really smoothly um, and that the, the weekend event goes on without a hitch. And then, I mean, collaborations is something that I'm open to as well. Like Opso and Wolftooth, we did a collaboration where um, they helped me design a nice little little medals that they made here in Minnesota um, for the juniors. And I, I emailed them. I mailed, not emailed. <laughs> I mailed those out uh, to the juniors this last week, and they so graciously gave us a few tents to put up on the Fenton for those riders and for the volunteers um, and sent us with some merch and really anyone that wants to to send anyone that is related to the, the bicycle industry, right, um, that wants to send product and to help influence their brand too. Uh, we love to just give away things. I had a box of goodies from from Bike Stud uh, and Otto and um, some other local brands and people just, they eat it up. That's part of the event, right? right. Uh, when people can get a little token of something, you know, it's not that we, these uh, are brands that put the entire event on, but they're there supporting us because that's the, essentially what yeah. that communal support should look like, right? Even with the trophies that we have designed every year, I mean, that's me and Andy getting together, mm -hmm. um, and his team, his team over at St. Thomas University putting together the file necessary to have those, that, that steel cut out um, in the logo, the silhouette of the fatfish, um, so that we can present the participants with something kind of neat for them to keep, you know? We're trying to pay attention to what we're doing. We're trying to, we're trying to make it into a special event that people can look forward to and put it on their calendars each and every year. That's what we're trying to do. And most importantly, after it's all said and done, we'd like to party. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, we can't wait to party point, again. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, come on. And, uh, and how, do, how do people learn more about the event? Where do we send people to, to get more information? Uh, they can go to our website, which is www.fatfishrace.com. Um, I'm reaching out to some riders um, this next week uh, who had done the 2020 race this year uh, to ask for a race recap. We had a couple teams that came out in full force, which is amazing. So getting their like collaboration on a race recap is going to go in there, and I'm building a blog page. But... Also, the, the Facebook and our Instagram. Uh, so the, the Facebook page is really where we will put most of uh, the content, and that's just Fat Fish 40 Bike Race. And then our Instagram is uh, Fat Fish Race. Excellent. Well, we'll uh, put these details out on the, on the website um, so that everybody can get links to them. Um, so that everybody has a chance to go directly there. And that's ironically how me, you know, I had known of Lila. We had known each other. I, threw, I met her through Lucas uh, over at the hub, uh, over at the University of Minnesota location. But I was looking for somebody to redesign my, my website, and, uh, and Lila was obviously, uh, she was in the business of doing that. And I simply sent her a text mm -hmm. message while she was, of course, healing from her, from her injury. Um, from that bike race that she was involved with, and mm -hmm. I sent her a text message, and I said, uh, "I said, hey, would you know, would you be interested in maybe doing something like this?" And and you know what she said to me? She sent me a message back, and she goes, "That's my jam." 
<laughs> I forgot I said, about that. And you know what? I knew. Yep, she forgot about. She told me that's my jam. I knew right there and then that if I could get her up, if I could get her up north and get her in the field there to show her exactly what I was working on and what I was trying to do, and, yep. and if she could, and if she was willing to immerse herself, which she was, she did. And you know what? Most importantly, to make a long story short, she was willing to get her hands dirty, which nobody else oh, yeah. wanted to really do with me. I knew she was going to work out, and I just I'm like, God, this is unbelievable. We had to connect. Uh, we had to connect these two county trails because this year we took all of the private land segments that were basically connector trails to county land. We got rid of all the private landowners uh, segments, and so we rerouted. And during a reroute recon. We had come up on these two county trails that were like maybe 500 yards apart, um, and there was like a thick in thick woods. And I was like, "Let's just build a single track." So then we started sighting out a couple of lines. In maybe an hour, we just pulled our saws out and started just building track and raking everything down. <laughs> and he's like, "Should we actually include this?" And that was just to see if it would work. <laughs> and then he's like, "Should we actually include this?" I said, yeah, we should definitely include this. This is our this is our all terrain. This is our single track course. And if you have bars over eight hundred, you're not getting through these trees. She's willing to jump in head first on some of these crazy ideas on what it actually takes to implement something. You know, you've got to be able to roll up your sleeves and uh, and and put put yeah. in the work. There's no and, doubt about it. And I respect that she she does that. She's done that for me. I would not the Fat Fish Forty race would not be where it's at right now if it wasn't for Lila Gerton. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That right now. Um, yeah, and I and I love working with Alan. Too. I like that he, you know, he's completely he's a sole he's a sole investor in this, and in, in in this business, and he brought me on, assuming that I had amazing ideas, and then once those amazing ideas came into fruition, um, we both just agreed that. Uh, we were partners in this, and he's given me so much, so much leeway to just do. He's like, whatever you think is, is right, pull the trigger on. It, it seems like it was a tremendous success. And, you know, one of the things that, Alan, you and I talked a little while ago about the, the whole recovery after an event like this of this magnitude, it takes a while to kind of get yourself back up into normal life mode. But I'm, I'm curious to know if and when either of you want to get back on the bike, and if so, what's your what's your own riding going to be like this winter? Well, I'm going to get back on the bike as soon as possible. As a matter of fact, probably tomorrow. Um, you know, I've been doing the diversion. I've been I've been riding. Yeah, I, I'm going to get get on the bike as soon as I can. I love the fat bike. I've got that Trek 9.8. Most of the summer here, I've been riding my uh, my uh, my specialized diverge, uh, and that's probably one of my most favorite bites at this point but i'm 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 constantly training i've got lev 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 is my coach he's been training me mm-hmm. now for about five years so i'm constantly doing intervals but he was concerned about the event and the amount of stress that the event was placing on me um he thinks i'm still fit <laughs> 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 so, it was a lot of heavy lifting but i did also want to mention that next yeah. year one of the changes that one of the changes that we're making for next year, and Jason, you might be interested in this, we're bringing in an MC next year. Fuck. Yes. It's a must. Yeah. It's a must. I, 
<laughs> yep. We're bringing in an MC next year to spin some records to to to, to actually to adhere, to actually you know uh, take care of that portion of the race and 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 the the after party and whatnot. And uh, we've learned that that's something that after a full week of trying to develop the race and get everything in order, we're not capable of doing. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know what? Hams, Alan, and I are on like our our fully rested good days. Like I've announced, I've announced so many races. I've got that under my belt. But oh, there's just something about that day. I had to, you know, you're just pivoting and learning new yeah. things, and you have to yeah, adapt so quickly to things. So I was yep. like, that would just be so much more nice to have someone else do that, so I don't have to be in the spotlight. Dare <laughs> I ever say that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, what's your uh, what's your winter of riding going to look like, Lila? What uh, what are your thoughts? For I actually that? just got back on the bike this summer, so um, I've been I, I bought a new I bought a new motorcycle. I've been doing a lot of motorcycle touring, uh, riding alone, um, going out into the woods alone, <laughs> um, and then I just recently I just recently took my uh, girlfriend on her very first motorcycle tour this summer. So. We did a little under 600 miles in a few days, and uh, nice. saw the saw, saw the river and all the beautiful colors down in uh, southern Wisconsin. So I've been doing that, but I just got back on the bicycle this summer, and I've just been riding my cross bike. I've got uh, this auger. I have an auger that I've had for, gosh, I think five years now, and uh, you know it, it gets a new pair of shoes every year, and a new pair of disc brakes and cable and housing and a gear set. So it's kind of like riding a new bike every year. But um, that I just, I like because it's, it's easy on, on my knee. With, with recovery, I'm a, little, I'm a little over a year and a half now from that full knee reconstruction. And um, I'm still having like some, some issues with that recovery. But as soon as I get on the bike, like, the fluid dissipates, the pain dissipates, it just feels so much better. So the more time that I spend on the bike this winter, it's going to be better. So I think this winter I'll probably ride outside. I was too scared last winter. I couldn't really do anything. But also um, my doctor said that I can um, play hockey this winter. So I think I'm going to nice. go back, get back into skating. Fun. Well, you, yeah. you you both deserve to have uh, you know a good winter of relaxation and fun. It sounds like you put on an amazing event, and and uh, it's been really fun getting to hear your stories and and learning more about the event. And I'm excited to uh, to have a bunch more people show up for you next year. Yeah, well, Jay, I'm me really, too. I'm, yeah, I am so. Uh, I, I really appreciate you having me uh, having us on uh, Blast Beats. Yeah, it's yeah, been it's you, been a man. ton of fun to talk to you, and and uh, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about as uh, plans roll out next uh, next year. So let's uh, let's stay in touch, and we'll uh, we'll share we'll spread the word front for you. Absolutely, no Jason. Hey, thank you.